Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to you know it's fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, last week, if you checked out the show for the very first time to hear Simon Gotch, I appreciate it. If it's your first time listening this week, thanks for coming along. If you've been here since day one, thanks for sticking around. Um, this has been a lot of fun doing this show. It's been so much fun just talking to so many different interesting individuals who are in some way, shape, or form Involved in the world of pro wrestling. And, you know, as you kind of heard last week with Simon Gotch, it was very in-depth. It was very raw. It was very um, detailed. A lot of stuff that people probably didn't know, um, which is always fun to chat it up with him. So I was really glad he decided to do the show. And uh, this week, my guest is Michael Magnuson. A lot of you may not know Michael Magnuson. Uh, he was a guy. He's a WLW guy. And uh, I'm going to be talking to a lot of the guys from my WLW days. Uh, he was a part of a... A team called the Black Hand Warriors, and uh, he got there right as I was leaving in uh, 2012. He was still training, still kind of a young guy, but I, I, him and his buddy Dave DeLorean both showed up right around the same time, and they were both bigger guys, which, is, and this may sound weird, I guess, in wrestling's current climate, but anytime you see a guy that's a little bit bigger, you, you kind of immediately think, like, oh, okay, they may they may do something. And I think that's just always how it's going to be. There's always going to be that stigma of wrestling of the big guy. And it's not that they were giants or anything, but they were they were bigger guys that had some muscle mass on them. We're like, oh, okay, let's see what these guys can do. And uh, I ended up going to the WWE uh, NXT system at the time in 2012. And uh, when I when I kind of started coming back late 2013, uh, they were starting to uh, get the ball rolling, and they were getting you know off their feet a little bit and getting um, getting some work, getting their reps in. And really starting to become an integral part of WLW. And it was really cool to see that rise. I got to wrestle them a couple of times. Nothing too crazy. But we did have one really fun tag match. But I always liked these guys. And I always wanted to see you know, where they would go. Unfortunately, neither one of them are active in wrestling anymore. And, that's one, and I say unfortunately because I think selfishly I would still like to see them perform. But I think sometimes the wrestling business, there's a, t- a point in time where we all have to kind of move away from it for whatever reason or another. And uh, Magnuson's going to get into that a little bit this week. Uh, it's it's another really interesting conversation to kind of hear different insights and, you know, maybe incidents that happened to him in the industry that kind of changed his whole opinion of it. But, you know, Magnuson was a guy that I connected with early on because just he was a huge fan. There wasn't anything wrestling related that I could probably stump him on. So it's like he knows the business like I know the business you immediately bond that, that friendship and, you know, he, he would love the goofy, crazy gimmicks and all that other stuff. So it's like, okay, I, I dig this guy. And, um, and it was kind of cool to catch up with him. I hadn't seen him in a few years. Um, he got very into fitness and is, I think kind of focusing more on fitness these days, but Michael Magnuson's going to be, uh, he's a great guy and a really fun guy to talk to. So I'm not going to take any more time here. I'm going to kick it over to my interview with Michael Magnuson.
Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the show now, he is a former WLW Tag Team Champion, a former Dynamo Pro Tag Team Champion. He was one half of one of the most successful tag teams in World League Wrestling history. I'm talking about Michael Magnuson. What's going on, man? What's going on? Hey, thanks thanks for that intro. No, Nobody here to smack me across the chest, but... <laughs> We could probably make a phone call. I don't know. Do you take phone calls? No, no. Oh, no. Everything I do is face-to-face. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, It's always great telling a joke that four people get, you know? (laughs) Yes. But to those four people, we are, like, just the man right now. We are absolutely killing it, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of that, Michael Magnuson, that, that name, you probably haven't even been called that in a few years. You've been out of the ring for a little while now. Oh yeah, the uh, last match was in 2016, so it's it's getting a little longer between matches. <laughs> you, you stayed on that trampoline, and <laughs> I don't know any tricks. I just jump, you know. <laughs> I watch what I eat. I train. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you referee my next match at the fairgrounds. How about that? You know. <laughs> Uh, good times, good times. Well, I mean, of course, I you know I to kind of backtrack our history. I first met you and your uh, your partner Dave Delorean. Uh, you guys came through WLW um, I, at, right at the time I was leaving. Actually, um, I hadn't yep. left yet, but I think I was getting ready to. So I didn't really know you guys too well. Um, but then we got more acquainted when I came back in like 2013, 2014, and you guys at that point were kind of getting kind of getting rolling in, into who you guys would become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds about right. Uh, I honestly, I think we've been there maybe three or four weeks when you worked your last WLW show in Springfield, if I remember right. That sounds right. Yeah, that was actually a really nice venue too. Yeah, yeah, the Winchester. Yeah. The thing is, like that being the first show that Dave and I went to, the first WLW show that we were, I guess, technically a part of, because we were quote-unquote security. Uh, seeing that nice of a venue, we were both kind of like, wow, you know, like this this is what it's going to be like, huh? And <laughs> you hadn't quite hit the armories and the uh, old gyms yet, had you? Yeah, not not yet. That, that came a little bit later, and uh, yeah, reality sunk in that they're not all going to be quite as glamorous or quite as quite as packed either so (laughs) i think that's the hard part about pro wrestling because i mean even when i uh when i first you know decided to come to the harley race wrestling academy you know at the time there were only a handful of schools that were ran by a legitimate name in the business which is what drew me to harley school but i'm assuming when i'm calling this place it's like a full-on building a full-on like staff that works there. You know, I, I guess I'm imagining the performance center, maybe not that big, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I don't realize it's like some small building in a strip center with one old crappy ring in there, you know, and it, it grew a little bit and, you know, we got to a different building and stuff like that, but it's like, you just assume it's this big thing and you get there and you realize how small this actually is. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I think when we got there, it was in that uh, that storage shed over on the edge of Eldon. What a and, lovely place that was! Oh yeah, like <laughs> I'm, I'm 
I mean, unless you know what exactly you're looking for, you're going to miss it every time you drive by. Right. And I, I, there were numerous times that I drove by that building thinking to myself, I wonder if anyone in Eldon knows that there is two professional wrestling rings in that building. And chances were, nope, they, they had no clue whatsoever. Oh, so yeah, well, here's a fun <laughs> fact. I was just in Eldon a few months ago, hanging out with some, some old pals, old Jack Gamble and stuff. And I went into the Eldon Walmart and there was a lady working as a cashier that that was there when I went back in like 2011 and 12, you know, <laughs> and it's just oh one of those crazy God. things. It's like, whoa, did time stand still? Like, and that's, that's how Eldon was. I assumed because of who Harley was. And the reputation his school had from like a you know a, I don't want to say a global level but definitely like a United States level everyone knew about the Harley Race Academy. I assumed it was a huge deal in Eldon. Half the people there didn't even know about it. Yep. Yeah. That that was a big big shock to me. Um, I mean, Dave and I came from Kansas, so like we were technically only a state away, but like. To us, we thought it was going to be like the biggest thing in town, and nope, <laughs> not a whole lot of people knew about it. Um, yeah. And I think by that point, uh, the school had been in a, a bigger facility at one point, just off the main, the main drag there in Eldon. And when it moved to that smaller location, I think a lot of people just thought the school left Eldon entirely because so, it was so hidden. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, before coming to, to Harley's that our, our decision to come there was pretty much just a, a geographical decision just cause you know, from Kansas, that was the closest wrestling school we could get to. Um, I remember being, uh, I want to say I was in sixth or seventh grade and, uh, I had ordered this little, little book just a, a paperback book called uh, how to become a professional wrestler. And it, it, it was uh, written by uh, William Moody and Dennis a Brent. So, so I, I think that, people that, might, um, that's Paul bearer. And I don't know that I don't recognize the other name, but yeah, D- uh, Dennis Brent was like a writer for WCW. And then he came over to, uh, WWF magazine for a while okay. during like the attitude era. And they, they had re- co-written that book in like the eighties, I believe. And they had just added information to it through the years and just kept republishing it. And, uh, it, yeah, it was a, one of those books that was available on the back of like, you know, the PDI PWI magazine. And, uh, so I ordered that book and, it had a list of wrestling schools that were active and operating as of, I think it was like 1999 at the time. So it's already outdated. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wrote to every single wrestling school and, uh, Harley's wasn't in there at the time. Um, but I did get a package in the mail with a, a little pamphlet and uh like some registration forms for exotic adrian streets wrestling school out of florida so um yeah never never ended up following that path 
I, I remember around 2005, I looked into it again because I was graduating high school at that time. And uh, I, I didn't find any more on Exotic Adrian's school. But uh, yeah, that that <laughs> that pamphlet was something else. It was printed off on just regular, you know, printer paper. And you could tell it was one of those old printers because you could see like the just the line by line of printing images, right. how just how terrible old printers used to print images. And uh, yeah, I, I was super excited at the time in like sixth grade. But yeah, uh, ne- never ended up following up on that one. Uh, but I think Dave and I found online that apparently there was a wrestling school in Kansas City at one point. That sounds right. And yeah. and uh, we had driven by just on a whim, like took a took a road trip and driven by, and the school didn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. There was like a it, it was an an armory building, so I'm sure at one point there was probably a wrestling ring in that building, but it was no longer existing. So the, the closest one was, was Harley's school in Eldon, Missouri. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you talked about geographics. I know that plays a big factor to where a lot of us probably choose to go, because even if you did, if you didn't go with Adrian street school, I mean, there's other schools in Florida and New York and places like that, but trying to figure out the logistics of that, especially being, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, it's kind of difficult. So it makes sense that you come to WLW. But to kind of go back even further, um, what was your fandom like as a young guy? Were you always, I mean, I know me and you have talked a lot about that, but like, were you just completely captivated by the wrestling business as a kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Like, uh, basically, one of my first memories, even, uh, I was like four years old. And we used to watch superstars on on the weekends because Raw wasn't a thing yet. Right. And uh, the very first uh, big angle that I remember seeing was Papa Papa Shango putting a spell on the Ultimate Warrior, and the Warrior just throwing up green vomit all over the place. And something about that, it just caught my eye and I I was hooked after that so and that's what's so funny is it's always these angles that kind of come across a little goofy you know now but (laughs) at the time it was like I remember talking about that with friends at school and Ultimate Warrior was puking (laughs) it was was such a like Papa and like if you look at the way Papa Shango was doing the curse he was like (laughs) his eyes were all rolled back super campy but at the time it was like holy crap this is so scary and uh, oh yeah I mean it's kind of like you know even how um, certain movies don't hold up because of special effects and things like that like it just it's a different time but but i totally get what you mean man like when you're a when you're a fan of the business and you you find something like you know pro wrestling and it hooks you and you just like especially with with something like the WWE at the time there was so much of it out there like just the the recap shows and things like that and granted it wasn't as big as it became but it was hard you couldn't get enough WWE at that time definitely definitely and and like to follow up on that I, I mean, I was hooked, but 
being like four years old, I wasn't quite sure where, you know, when to watch wrestling or what channels it was on. I just knew that on the weekends, uh, you know, we were going to watch wrestling at some point. It wasn't until I got a little bit older, I was probably like second or third grade, that I realized that WWF had a magazine. Oh, yeah. And I just, like, everything was wrestling by that point. Like, the the internet was brand new at the time, and so, like, insider information, every little bit I could get, I was just consumed by pro wrestling. And... Like, honestly, up until, I want to say 2008 or 2009, I had every single issue of WWF Magazine dating back to August of 1996. Wow, that would be quite a collection nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still remember who was on the cover that that first issue. It was wild man mark marrow (laughs) (laughs) fantastic well dude i remember and this is what's so crazy about how things change i remember i couldn't wait until my mom had to go buy groceries because that meant i could go see the new magazines at the magazine stand at the grocery store yep like what kid at that age is excited about going to the grocery store i you know i was the same way because that's where i first saw the wwf magazine was at the grocery store right the, the uh, grocery store we would go to had uh, like a, a video rental service also. So I would just go in there because that's where they had the magazines also. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd sift through the WWF magazine and I'd look at that time. I think Nintendo 64 was the current console, but they had all sorts of these old Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis games that. You know, I'm I'm looking at WWF Raw from back in the day, and yeah, just looking at the back of the boxes and reading through the magazine. Just yeah, that that's where I'd be the entire time. Mom was getting groceries. Oh yeah, I mean, and at that time, man, there were so many magazines because WCW also had magazines. Then there was like the PWI issues that kind of had a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, ECW briefly had a magazine. There was a big magazine called Wow that I really enjoyed. Yep. Yeah. I like that one too. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was just, it was crazy how big the business got. And I think me and you were probably kind of the same where we were fans during the Federation era. And then the attitude era starts coming in. I'm Mm -hmm. like, it just took my fandom and just shot it through the roof. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was around the time that like I attended my first live event and you know, Austin was champion at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I became aware of other merchandise as well. And yeah, like I, I had as much merchandise as I could get. I wanted to go to every single show that I could go to. And, uh, my uncle would order the, the pay-per-views on occasion and he'd always videotape them and, and send them home with me too. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah I just kind of basically just geeking out on my, on my wrestling fandom as much as I could at that time. Well, you know, what's funny about that, the pay-per-views, especially during that era nowadays with like the WWE network and stuff, the pay-per-views aren't really hard to come by. Um, mm-hmm. as you know, and I, cause I'm sure you were the same, like if you were a kid back in that day and you missed a pay-per-view, 
you didn't really, there was no rewatching it unless you ordered the replay and, or until the video came out. But it's like, basically you're just watching raw or nitro to figure out what happened, you know, and hoping that they, they explain some of the results from the night before, but yeah, yeah. nowadays well, I, it's so much easier to see everything. I think sometimes that's, that was the hard part. That was the over, maybe that's the overexposure because I remember the, the raw after a pay-per-view is always a fun one. Cause you got to know who's, you know, who won the title and all that stuff. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and, well, and WWF was always real good about trying to to push the the replay on Tuesday night, right? Because they would do the still images from the pay per view the night before, but they would and, have the commentary on them, right? Yes, yeah, and and I was like, that was always the big moment for me because it's like, okay, what happened last night? I, I get to get caught up now, and yeah, like that. that Fans nowadays don't understand just how good they have it. Like they, anything at their fingertips, you know, with the internet and the network and YouTube, like there's so much stuff out there that, you know, back when we were, we were kids, it, it was very hard to come by. Yeah, it really was. And I remember, you know, hearing things about like shotgun Saturday night and, and I, I never was able to watch that. I never knew when that was on, you know, and there was always talk of those shows, but a lot of them I never saw, you know, I remember yeah. I, could, I could watch raw and Sunday night heat was around, but it would always be like shotgun Saturday night, check your local listings. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and so like, yeah. remember, cause if, if you remember also TV guide was a huge deal. I remember thumbing through my grandpa's TV guide to see if I could find WWF shotgun Saturday night. Never saw it, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and me coming from a, a small town in Kansas, we didn't have the option of picking what channels we wanted to subscribe to or anything. We had like 30 channels or something and that's what you got. Mm-hmm. And you know, USA was one of those channels, thankfully. And then later TNN, whenever they switched, but uh, yeah, we, we, couldn't watch shotgun Saturday night. Uh, and then later when SmackDown came around, we didn't have UPN either. So I was always in the dark on UPN. I, I had to rely pretty heavily on the, the weekend wrap up shows to find out what was going on on SmackDown. Well, and what's funny is the way you're talking there is just like me, because at that time you couldn't miss wrestling, right? Like you just couldn't miss it. And if you did, you had to figure out a way or something to watch to catch up. Now it's like, I'll go months without watching a show. And I feel like I didn't miss anything. And I think that's a, a weird thing that a lot of people are experiencing in today's wrestling climate. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Agree totally with that. Like th- there are certain guys that, uh, you know, either through Twitter or, uh, some, you know, some other form of social media, I might, follow them or keep an eye on them sure but as far as actually watching the shows i i'm not a regular weekly watcher of of anything wrestling now and it you know i'll, I'll see like oh this guy was a baby face at this time and now he's a heel but like the you know everything else is kind of kind of the same right or th- there's so many guys in wwe now that i have no idea who they are right so like that that's another thing i feel like is kind of kind of lost because 
when we were growing up, 96, 97, WWE's roster was maybe like 40 guys deep. Right, and it was basically like if they did a Royal Rumble show, pretty much everybody was booked. Yep, yep, yep. And now, like, they are at, like, WCW levels where it's like they could fill three rings full of guys, and I'm not going to know, you know, over half of them. Right. So. It's definitely a different time, I think, for the wrestling business. And, you know, I've said this a lot, too, like, you have to let people go. Like, I know WWE was really bad about holding on to guys more recently, but I'm like, you have to let people go other places because they can never come back. You know what I mean? You have to have that that character flow of them going there and then maybe going there. Then they come back in a few years, and that's a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. It's If you don't have that stuff, it just kind of is all like – it's all mundane to a degree. And Oh, yeah. Well, it's, they, they'll get oversaturated. And- right. And it, it's not special anymore. Exactly. Like, uh, like how Andre was booked back in the day. He was a special attraction. He'd move around the territories and just be on the big shows. And, you know, like that, I, I hear Jim Ross talk about it all the time on, on his podcast. He's like, you know, that's one thing we did wrong with the big show is he got to the point where he wasn't special anymore because he's just he working just, everybody. Yep, yep. And so. and that's the thing is I think someone like him especially, he can get boring because he's going to do the same type of match, but that's what makes him special. And I think, honestly, I think that's what's kept Brock Lesnar so um, attraction heavy is that he hasn't worked that much. It's been very limited, but at the same time, it's like he's had a really good run these last few years. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like he, they book him as a special attraction – and I mean, he's money, whatever he does, it, right. it seems like, uh, you know, he went back to UFC for a little while and that was like their biggest pay-per-view in a long time. And then came right back to WWE and just, yeah, he, he's been on the mark just every single time. It seems. No, he definitely has. And you know, the business will always kind of change. I think that there's something that, that just kind of one of those things that has to change. Um, but, you know, the, the name of the show is called You Know It's Fake, Right? So I got to get your opinion on that. What's that like for you, you know, being a kid who was a, a massive fan, just could not get enough wrestling to a guy who pursues that, gets in the business, becomes a pro wrestler, and and how how difficult it is to navigate when people say things like that about this industry that we're so heavily a part of? Man, it's it's like a, it's like a loaded question for me just because you know at the peak of my fandom uh you know like the the magazine days at that time I still didn't know that it was it was a work sure. you know I, I Well you're you're a believer, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I I knew that some things probably weren't 100% legitimate, but I didn't know exactly how they worked and I wanted to know more. And that just fueled into my, my interest, my fandom even more because, you know, every little bit of insider information I could get, I, you know, I was all about it. Sure. And so like to hear someone nowadays say like, Oh, you, you know, you mean that fake stuff? Like it's to me, it's like, 
you don't understand. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's not fake. There's just so much more to it than that. Um, it, and again, I, I, I know I spoke earlier before we, uh, went live pal. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, like for people to say it's, it's fake you know, you're, you're not going to go to the movie theater and say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go watch this fake movie. It's, it's, I think part of the problem is the people that are saying, oh, that fake stuff, when they grew up, they were exposed to wrestling as uh, being marketed as something legitimate, a legitimate sport. And, you know, at, at times it could be hokey and that's kind of what they took away from it. And especially now in this day and age with, with UFC being such a big thing and that being a legitimate sport, uh, you know, a, a lot of people just look to that and say, okay, yeah, that's real wrestling's fake. And that's the end of the story without even really giving it, you know, without giving wrestling its due, it's, it's entertainment. Um, at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. And, yeah, guys are are hitting each other back and forth, and a lot more often than not, that's <laughs> they're actually hitting each other. As, you know, as as someone on the receiving end of a Jack Gamble comeback, a lot of times <laughs> <laughs> those are real shots coming at you. Right. So. <laughs> well, and I think that's what's so interesting about the pro wrestling industry. Like we, like you, you brought up a movie or something. Like I, I would never go watch like, you know, Mission Impossible and be like, Tom Cruise isn't really defusing that bomb. This is all lame. You know, like I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be my thought process. It would be like, am I invested in the moment? Am I into what I'm seeing? And so maybe someone watching, you know, pro wrestling for the first time is they see, maybe an over the top character, maybe someone who's a little bit goofy, and they think, oh. That's not real. But what's what's even stranger to me is when you present something that's got very few holes in it and people don't buy it. Like um, one you talked about earlier, the Papa Shango incident, which I remember very well. But about a year before that, they did an angle where Jake Roberts had a cobra that bit Macho Man's arm. Yes. I remember seeing that as a kid. Um, but I remember people saying, like, well, that's, that wasn't real wasn't a real snake and i'm like i mean it it clearly is a real snake obviously yeah yeah, it's been devenomized but at the end of the Mm -hmm. day he still had to sit there tied up in the ropes with this cobra biting him hoping that it's been devenomized right because i mean you don't i don't know how how you would even check to know that for sure right um oh yeah it's still a freaking king cobra and it's still biting your arm like that's um that's such a uh, a weird thing for me when people are like, oh, that's not real. And it's like, well, I mean, it's it's a work, but he's still getting his arm bitten by a snake. Like, that's still happening. It's pretty clear that that's still happening. And, you know, I, I don't know. Like, that's what's so interesting to me about the pro wrestling business is, like you said, it's an entertain- it's entertainment. It's, it's all of that. But at the end of the day, if I'm wrestling you and I give you a backdrop, you know good and well that that move can go badly because it's it's very hard to time if you're not very comfortable taking it right mm-hmm. like that was a move that was always hard for me to take well 
Like, even if I took it safely, it still always kind of hurt. Oh, yeah. You know, like that's, you know, a body slam. If I pick you up for a body slam or you pick me up, we should be okay. But what if something happens? That's the part that has always gotten me where people don't understand the risks that come with stepping in a ring. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, that's another thing. Like to to your, just your layman person, they think that that ring is basically like a trampoline, you know, like a a bouncy house. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely not. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, I talked to a guy at my work one time and he, he compared it to a mattress. I was like, it's not a mattress. He's like, Oh, it's, it's gotta be pretty close. And I was like, it's not, it's like, it's steel, wooden, a little bit of padding. He's like, Oh, it's gotta be soft. I was like, how could it be soft? You have 300 pound men running on it. If like, if you try to run on a moon bounce, you really can't do that very well or a mattress. Yeah. And he kind of looks at me like, huh, never thought about that. But it's like. Again, it's not smoke and mirrors. Like you said, it's a very hard surface. And if you don't mm-hmm. hit it just right, it does hurt. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and even even just the most elementary of moves, like you said, a, a backdrop, that could, that could end a career right there. That could put somebody in a wheelchair if they take it wrong. So, I, I mean, to, to, to just have someone say, oh, that fake stuff with – especially to someone that you know has has worked independence for years and they just never got that next step and it was just literally the you know the small payoffs if you get a payoff at all and you know just a, a road trip weekend where you're gone the entire weekend knowing full well you have to go back to your shoot job that you hate the next the very next day and you're getting home at three o'clock in the morning and you ended up spending a hundred dollars instead of making anything. Right. It's, it's definitely not fake. So, I mean, (laughs) I I think, uh, I forget who said it, but, uh, somebody said something along the lines of like, you know, the, when you're in the ring, it's, it's as real as can be. And you know, the, the miles definitely aren't fake. Right. So. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that's another thing, too, is when you're in the middle of that, because you, you've been in that lifestyle where you're, you're hitting the road and you're doing all this stuff and you kind of it just becomes part of who you are. Right. You hit every show mm-hmm. in all these towns. You're, you're wrestling. You're, you know, trying to work when you can and you're not making money and all that stuff. And it just it hits you very, very hard because it's, you know, like you said. I, I've and I've done this before too, where I've had promoters hit me up for a show, and I've given them a price that is basically my break-even point with with gas, and then being like, ah, I don't know if we can do that. And it's like, what? You know, like that's such an insulting thing to hear because it's like, yeah, this is not me asking for thousands of dollars. This is my break-even point, and you're saying, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we can pull that off. You know. Yep. Like that's yep. it's when you actually step back and kind of get away from the business a little bit and think about it, you realize how how crazy it seems sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I I remember being a, at one point where uh, at the end of the year I was so happy that it was the end of the year because that meant tax season was coming up and I knew that I would get a tax return back and because you know, any type of money coming in is going to be good. And I had to wait 
wait for all the W-2s to come in, and I realized that I had seven W-2s to file that year, meaning I went through seven different jobs through that entire year span because of pro wrestling. Right. <laughs> Paying your Just, dues, uh, brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I routinely remember thinking like, okay, well, I'm going to have to get off this Friday because of this show. And I'm going to have to leave early on Wednesday because uh, Dynamo is going to have a, a show that, that Wednesday night. And, you know, the job being like, you know, we can't, we can't let you off. We can't let you off. And it's like, okay, well, I quit. And <laughs> because it's like, you know, I didn't move to Eldon, Missouri to work at, you know, this restaurant or this factory or whatever. Right. I, you know, I moved here to learn how to wrestle and to wrestle as much as I can so I can, you know, make a career out of it. And I, I can honestly say that, I, you know, between Dave and I, we change jobs like some girls change shoes. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's such a weird thing is because, like you said, you're trying to do what's right by wrestling, but in turn, you're changing jobs a lot. And that comes a point, especially in a place like Eldon, like after a while, where do you go? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember one year I went probably a good seven or eight months, just unemployed. And, uh, let me tell you that that was not the best seven or eight months of my life because even though we were, you know, living in that, dumpster fire of an apartment complex uh with the really really cheap rent um i i was i struggled for a long time there um missing meals and uh i i i'm sure i've told it on a podcast before but uh i remember at one point looking in the refrigerator and there being nothing in there to eat except for uh a package of cottage cheese and I looked at the expiration date and it was like a year and a half past the expiration date, mm. but it was sealed. So I went ahead and opened it and ate the entire container. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's how, that's how rough it was there for a while. So, well, and what's funny is if you talk to people and this is one thing I've always disliked about the wrestling business is everyone's quick to give you advice, even though if it's, may not be the best. You could talk to someone and be like, well, go get a job. Okay. And you get a job and and then you're like, well, I really can't do this show because my job will let me off. Would well, you come here to wrestle or did you come here to work? Like, well, I came here to wrestle. Well, quit your job then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And then now it's like, okay, well, now you're broke. It's like, well, you got to get a job, pal. You know, like, it's like <laughs> okay. Pretty much it, it's that weird. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. And it's that weird, like, catch 22 of, everybody wanting to give you the best advice they can, but it's just, it is what it is. Right. And, you know, I think sometimes the realities of the wrestling industry is kind of what, what shapes us to what we're, what we're going to be like. But, but you know, it's situations like that in, in being broke and wanting, you know, just a decent payday for a show or whatever it might be. That's the stuff that really makes you, um, it makes you a little salty about the business, I think. And especially when someone wants to insult you. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. how many times I would have someone come up to me and be like, so, 
you ever think about uh, going to like WWE? Because that's what they know is wrestling, right? You know, because they're not a part of the business. They don't really understand the business. They just know what they see on TV. And it's like, oh, huh, the biggest wrestling company on the planet. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I should Maybe I should look into it. I wonder if they're hiring, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and... and there, there's just there's there's no logic in that conversation because you know that that same person uh you know they'll look at say uh a conor mcgregor in ufc and they probably thought oh well he must have just saw that you know job listing on uh indeed and applied or something <laughs> yeah he definitely didn't and, train his entire life for this for sure exactly yeah like i mean i mean even you know fighters they're they're training and they're fighting at these you know, just dump shows and working their way up the ladder, just the same a pro wrestler does. It's just pro wrestling is so much more different than anything else out there. So, yeah. Well, and like, you know, I've, I've tried to talk to people about it and I, I'm sure you've made this mistake where you try to explain it in terms that they will understand, but they still don't. And I'm like, okay, it'd be like if you saw a band at a bar and you're like, wow, these guys are pretty good. They're not Metallica, but they're a they're decent for where we're at. That's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, but it, it's not so much about talent. It's about the right person seeing them, the right person saying, hey, I want to spend money on you to record an album, to promote it, to give you a tour, the whole deal. That's the difference. And, oh, yeah. And as you know, with wrestling, man, there's so many guys trying to get in. That, like if you go to a place like WWE, they make basically make you feel like you're walking on eggshells the entire time you're there because they don't need you. And they know they don't need you. Because at the end of the day, at the drop of a hat, any one of us at that time would have done anything WWE asked because we just won in the door. And they know that. And that's the that's such a weird, difficult thing to be a to be a part of. It's like you know, I, I wish it was kind of back how it was back in the day. So if like I'm there as an extra and we're like, Hey, we want you to be a security guard tonight. Like, uh, no, that doesn't really work for me because I want to be taken seriously, you know? (laughs) But yeah, but as you know, you can't do that. It's just, you're there. Okay. Yes, sir. I'll do everything I can hoping that if you're, you're nice and you're easy to work with, that maybe they'll give you an opportunity down the road. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I mean like, just more often than not, it's, it's not going to happen. It's right. Yeah. It's, it's such a crapshoot, and th- there's really no right or wrong answer of like how to be successful in pro wrestling. It's, it's really, it's just going to vary and depend on who the person is and just, yeah, like you said, it, it, a lot of it has to do with who sees you pretty much. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times they tell the story of the guy, like there's a a guy named Keith Lee. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but they're doing a WWE 24 show on him on the network right now. And the whole story is about how many times he failed to make it before finally making it. And I feel like they put stories like that out there as feel good stories. Like this guy finally overcame, but he's like one out of a million that, that, that that didn't get signed and won't get signed, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's the part I want people to understand and be realistic about too. It's like try hard, do everything you can, but you know, like I've I've said this before, a big reason I kind of stepped away 
is I didn't want to be that guy that was in his forties trying to make it, you know, it's like, that's, that's a sad existence. I don't want to be that guy. I would rather have a job and, you know, be able to, you know, pay my bills as opposed to live on this dream of potentially making it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, for me, the, the major breaking point was I was coming up on my, my, you know, 30th birthday and I, I kind of just took inventory of everything at the time, but you know, by that point, Dave and I were making a pretty good mark, at least, or you know, around the the Midwest we area. We're definitely with, up coming for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, we were starting to get booked in Chicago a little bit, and we were invited to come back, and. You know, we were kind of just gaining some traction. Uh, well, we and I think had you stuck around, even more bookings could have happened, obviously. But again, that's oh, yeah. always a, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda thing, right? Yep, yep, pretty much. I mean, because by that point, I had reached a point where I had already took like a, a six-month hiatus from a couple of the companies just to take a step back because I, I Dave and I were getting to the point where I was bickering with him so much and he's he kind of had to come to Jesus with me and was like, "Hey, what are we here for? Why are we doing this?" He's like, "Maybe you just need to take a break and uh, see where your priorities lie." Because I was telling him, like, you know, I'm I hate this right now. Like, I I just I reached a point where I didn't want to go to a show every single weekend and and lose my ass or you know. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm missing missing meals. By that point, I had a steady job, finally, and uh, I didn't want to lose that job. And uh, yeah, so I, I took that six months off and came back. And honestly, at that point, I was probably in the best shape of my life coming coming back to wrestling. And I realized, okay, what's the difference there versus? you know, six months ago when I decided to take the time off. Well, first of all, I had more time on my hands to work out. Sure. Uh, the second thing was I had steady income so I could afford to feed myself the right foods to get into a decent shape. And the third thing was like one of the most important things. I didn't have any nagging injuries where like, you know, I took a bump wrong and I can't feel my left arm anymore. And so now I can't work out for, you know, the next three weeks. Right. So basically you let uh, your body heal and your mind heal and all that other stuff. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Pretty much. And I, I came back and was in good shape and things were going well. Started working all the other companies again and we had started gaining some traction again and I just kind of stepped back and was like, okay, I, things aren't really different. I'm still not really looking forward to doing this every weekend. Uh, it, but the, the main problem for me was, okay, what's the end goal? Right. To, be, to be like WWE. Well, I'm not even watching their product anymore because I don't like it. Like By that point, I, I, just, I didn't care for the product. And I had, I had the opportunity to be an extra about a year previous to that. 
And like you said, I was walking around on eggshells. Right. And I'm, They're I'm, waiting I'm for looking, you to mess up too. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm looking at the guys who are under contract, and it looks to me like they're walking around on eggshells just as much as I am. Right. Well, maybe, you know, maybe not to the same extent because they have a contract, but you know, I've heard enough stories. I've seen enough shoots to, to understand that, you know, everybody realizes that they're expendable there. They're just another cog in the wheel. You know, that guy's going to get released and they're going to push this new guy coming in. So it's, you're you're always having to be at the top of your game and for that company i didn't feel like i could do that anymore and i just kind of fell out of love with it so i decided to to call it a day and you know while i was still relatively young try to uh fall back on my on what my career was going to be before wrestling which was it stuff and uh yeah luckily i i hit the ground running on that and i've i've been fairly successful ever since but uh yeah like i i know we talked before about a lot of guys experience things in wrestling and they they get to be somewhat salty about it and man was i ever i yeah. i had a lot of shit to talk on wrestling to anyone who would listen but uh, I, I'm I'm past that now. I've made peace with it, and I know, like, uh, probably about six months to a year ago, there's even some talk of maybe making a return. But that that's kind of come and gone. I, I I think if I was gonna make a comeback, I would have made it by now. But uh, yeah, like I'm I'm happy with life now and where where things are for me but the uh yeah the i i still will get that that twinge in the back of my head if if someone if wrestling gets brought up and someone mentions the the f word right yeah i mean that's the tagline i put on this show it's the dirtiest four-letter word in pro wrestling because you can say anything you want to but you say that it, it always elicits a response from anyone involved but, you know, you know, kind of going back to what you were telling in your story, it reminds me so much of myself because I kind of had that same mindset of like, if I'm not looking to go back somewhere, then why am I doing this? If I don't have a goal, if I don't have a destination point, then what's the point of this? And that's kind of what led me to kind of stepping away. And I think kind of like you, maybe not even really missing it like I thought I would. Like, I really thought I'd miss it a lot and I really haven't. And mm-hmm. and it's such a it's such a bizarre thing because of how how much we're invested into wrestling. But I also think too, man, sometimes it's easy to do things out of habit. Right. And, and I think part of that was we were doing all these shows, going to all these events because that's what we're supposed to do. We're wrestlers instead of like you were saying, maybe taking a step back and reevaluating every situation and being like, wait a minute, like why would I do something I don't enjoy doing? You know, like I couldn't imagine if I told myself like, you know what? I'm going to watch every single Jean-Claude Van Damme movie in existence because there's some stinkers out there, you know, <laughs> like, what's the point? You know, just watch the ones you like. Like it's a very, it's a very weird thing, but 
Um, I know one thing. I don't. You, know, you may not want to talk about this much, which I, I totally understand. But I know um, near the end of your your run there, you created this GoFundMe account online, and a lot of people got very upset about it. We fast forward a few years, and because me and you have talked about it a little bit, but not a ton. But now a lot of wrestlers use Patreon and OnlyFans, mm-hmm. and you know, you've asked me before. It's like, is this different? And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I remember when you had mentioned that you were thinking about it, I kind of thought it was a joke, but then you actually did it. And I thought, oh no, he's going to get some heat for this, which obviously that came like, not, I, I didn't care. Like, I don't care that you do something like that, but because it's wrestling, everyone has an opinion. It kind of came under some scrutiny, but now more successful wrestlers who make a ton of money in this do the same thing. And it's perfectly okay. Is that kind of your thought there as well? Oh, oh yeah. 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 It's basically... I, I, I wanted to open up a GoFundMe because I thought of it as like uh oh a like a digital tip jar almost like hey you know if if you watch our YouTube show if you go to our shows and see me wrestle and you enjoy what I do you know help a brother out. This Why is easier not? than buying a picture or buying a T-shirt or something. Yeah, basically, basically because that you know every little bit would definitely be appreciated uh and yeah there were some some vets that didn't really think that that was the the best thing to do they thought that it it was uh i guess akin to to begging for money and uh i i just need to work harder and uh, stop being so lazy and, and things like that. Uh, and yeah, just, uh, just like you said, fast forward a few years, uh, turns out that, yeah, there's, there's Patreons and, and OnlyFans and, uh, just all, all sorts of different things, different avenues for wrestlers to make extra income. Uh, I mean, granted, you know, Patreons more often than not will offer some type of service in return for, you know, whatever level people subscribe to. Sure. But I, I mean, for, for that time, I, I thought it was kind of somewhat trend setting to, to do what I was doing, but, uh, you know, everybody else, well, not everybody else, but enough people that have enough people's ear thought you know agreed and i actually got blackballed from one of the uh bigger promotions in the uh kansas city area at the time so because of that but um yeah i um it i I was real salty about that for the longest time but i'm i'm pretty well past it I, i i'm i'm doing perfectly fine so well, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those difficult things where I think everybody has an opinion on something and and at that time I don't even know if Patreon was around and if it was around it was relatively new. But you know, I've seen female wrestlers that have Patreon tiers of like five, ten, twenty five, thirty, fifty bucks and they've got like several hundred patrons. Oh yeah. And I look at oh, that yeah. and I'm like you know, like, number one, like this GoFundMe that you created, I don't know if it made any money or if it would have made 
that much money. So, I don't know. It's just kind of a uh, a weird a weird thing to uh, to be upset about, I guess. I don't know. And and again, I think sometimes too, it's easy to get riled up from somebody to you know what I mean, which I think is probably what happened. I I was gonna say honestly, I think uh, it was one of those situations where wait, he's doing that, and I never thought of that, and I don't know how that works, well, I'm going to be pissed about it. Right. So, yeah, well, I that's, mean, that's kind of... That would be like someone being upset that you guys created a pro wrestling tea store. Like, it's kind of the same thing, right? I mean, we're selling an 8x10 at a show. Like, it's all kind of like, we're all... Everything we do in wrestling is to try to make money. Granted, that was not customary at the time, so maybe that's where the the fault came in. And they're like, "Oh, we don't like that because he did that." I don't know, but very, um, very odd perspective, I guess. All, all in all, but you know, I know we yeah. we talked about it. You know, as time has gone now, because it's been a few years, and you know, more people like cameo, right? I mean, WWE superstars have cameos, and mm-hmm. someone showed me. Uh, who I can't remember who it was, but how many cameos that person had done and the rate that they had done them. And it was like, that guy made like $40,000 off of that. That is crazy. Right. And, <laughs> and it's one of those things. It's like, you know, like you don't get mad at that. Like I would never get mad at someone's hustle, you know? And the thing is, is like, had the GoFundMe been around for a while and been successful, more people would have probably done it. Right. Oh, I, I would 100% guarantee that. And well, not only that, I, I remember just every few months or so after my whole run in with the GoFundMe thing, there'd be a random wrestler pop up with a GoFundMe and no one's raising a stink about it. And, and I would always, I there for a while, I would share it and just say, like, hmm, no, you know, no one's going to raise a stink about this. Right. You know, how's this any different? And, you know, it, it just got to the point where there, there was no point, no point at all. Um, just let it go, let it die. And, uh, yeah, like that, that was probably the, the main thing that had me salty about pro wrestling there for, uh, a good few years to yeah. be quite honest. Yeah, it's definitely a strange thing. But I remember even, uh, I think it was Mark Sterling even, didn't he actually tell you, like, well, if you put on there that you were going to ROH camp, no one would say anything, even if you didn't go? Yeah, yeah, he had, he had mentioned that. And I thought, okay, so... So it's easier to lie than, than to be honest, yeah. which is weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got uh, blackballed and I got tons of heat for being honest but if I would have lied about it, it would have been okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that's that's just one of those you know pro wrestling things. Why ask why? It doesn't it doesn't make sense. Doesn't have to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. <laughs> but you know, like you said, um, I, I I feel this way since I've gotten a better job and I have you know a house and a car that I you know that I bought and stuff. It's nice to know that like the wrestling business can't hold anything over my head anymore. Yes. Yeah, and, definitely. And I'm not really involved with it to that degree, but it's nice to know that like if push came to shove, I could tell off someone in wrestling and not have any worry about it. <laughs> you know? Yep. 
Yep, I I agree. I agree. I I mean, I hold no malice towards anyone that's sure. still involved or anything. And actually, you know, I I see and talk to uh, John Webb just about every every week, every weekend, every few days. We shoot the shit, even though I don't like him personally. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, I got, I, I have no time to hold ill will towards anybody. That's probably Absolutely. the main takeaway for the whole thing for me is I, I just, there's, there's no reason to hold on to that. So just let it go. No. I, and, and I think that's sometimes a hard thing to do is just letting things go. But you know, at the end of the day, I think with pro wrestling, it's such a interesting and unique business. It's, it's kind of nice to to not have to need it either, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it wrestling does take a lot from you, and it's kind of nice when you can walk away from it and be and be content or be happy. And you know, I, there's periods of time, man, where I don't even watch. I, I, you know, I'll catch a clip here or there, but I don't really even watch it. And and if I do watch it, I'm watching stuff from like the era that I was a fan. I don't watch current stuff that much. That's that's pretty much where I'm at. It, I, I had probably a good three year period where I I just was so disgusted and fed up with it that I I had to detach from it completely. Right. But then you know the 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 podcasts I kind of started to get a little interest in that and I'd listen to them here or there, and then it got to the point where I'm listening to them, you know, just about every week now, and. I do have a subscription to the network, and like you said, I, I watch stuff from the period where I was a fan, not not anything current, but just you know stuff from yesteryear or whatever. But um, it, and it's it's kind of funny because my wrestling consumed so much of my childhood and so much of my life through the you know through my twenties and everything. Uh, <laughs> when I finally did hang them up and and uh, had insurance, which is just amazing, because <laughs> it's such a weird thing, right? <laughs> yeah, like I I I had to go to the dentist and uh, I they prescribed me uh, antibiotics to get rid of an infection, and uh, I, I I felt compelled. This was probably about a year or two ago, I, I felt compelled to, to share about it on Facebook. I was like, I'm in the parking lot at CVS. I am 31 years old and I have never filled a prescription in my life. And I'm nervous right now. Right. <laughs> like, like just something just is, is elementary as that. Like I, I, I had never done that before in my life because I had never had my own insurance because of pro wrestling. Well, and also too, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I was wrestling in Missouri full time, it was calling every doctor possible. How cheap can you do a physical? Yep. Without insurance. Yep. This this place will do it for thirty bucks. We're all going. You know, like that was you know, like that was the deal. It was such a man. It was such such an interesting time. You know, the things that we had to do. Um, like you said, because of wrestling, because it's it's not a fun feeling to. To have to get relicensed because you got physical blood work, the actual license itself, 
Mm-hmm. And that's going to be about three times what you're going to get paid that night. Yep. Yep. But un- unless you were able to uh, finagle with a promoter and say, hey, you know, you got me coming in here. You want to go ahead and play, you know, pay for my blood work also. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that was always icing on the cake if you could manage that. Yes, if you could if you could pull that one off, that that was always definitely a good thing. Um, <laughs> the things we went through in wrestling, man, that's so crazy. But dude, this has been a lot of fun catching up. We haven't, I haven't probably seen you in probably a couple of years now, um, and even then, it was just briefly. So yeah, yeah it's been a while. It, it's cool, like cause back in the day, man. Me and you used to just shoot the shit like this all the time. So it's kind of cool to, even though it's obviously through Skype and stuff like that, but it's still cool to be able to kind of exchange stories and things like that and realize how. Like me and you had never met until we got into pro wrestling, but we're basically almost exactly the same in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I remember like once you actually uh, left for WWE, you know, everybody at the school would would be talking to me, and I, you know, they'd mention a certain pay per view or whatever, and I'd be like, "Oh, that was this," and this guy wrestled, and this was the main event, and the title changed hands, and they. they Everybody was always saying, like, you need to talk to Breaker. Because, like, <laughs> you, you, you guys are exactly the same. <laughs> Kindred so. spirits. Well, it's funny. Anytime you meet a guy like that that has the same knowledge, you're, you you tend to just, like, gravitate towards him. Because, like, Gamble, like, I always was buddies with him, but he, he could never remember details of anything, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's always, it's always, I don't know, it's always just fun when you uh, when you meet like that. But... Anyway, man, you got any social media or anything you want to plug out there to let people know where they can find you? Oh, I mean, pretty much uh, just got the old Facebook for family and friends. Uh, Instagram is pretty much the same. But, I mean, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I guess, uh, just search my name and I should pop up. Boom. There it is. All right, man. Well, this has been a blast. I hope we can do it again sometime, maybe in person next time, which would be fun. And definitely, always, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's always cool. Uh, it's always cool chatting it up, man. All righty. Well, I appreciate having you having me on. So, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on You Know It's Fake, right? First of all, big shout out to Michael Magnuson. Um, Thank you for being on the show, man. It was really fun getting to talk it up with you and and just kind of chat all things wrestling and life and everything else. Um, Just a great dude, fun fun guy to talk to. And my guest next week will be Jeff, Jeff Toon. Jeff with one F, as Bill Benis calls him, from the Fully Posable Wrestling Figure Podcast. You heard Jeff on here a few weeks ago. He actually interviewed me. And that week I had actually planned to just have him on the show kind of last minute. And he threw that curveball at me like, well, what if I just interview you? I'm like, oh, well, that kind of could be cool. But I remember thinking like, yeah, but I really want to interview you as well. I want you to be a part of this new show. So he was he was gracious enough to come back on. And that will be next week. I think everyone will enjoy it. And um, it's always cool to, to chat it up with Jeff and Scott. And Scott will be coming up again soon um, in, a, in a future episode. They're great dudes, and um, I was still still very upset that I didn't get to hang out with them in Tampa. You know, this in 2020, obviously, because that, that was like, man, this is gonna be so much fun. I'm gonna hang out with those guys. We're gonna do some podcasts. Like I was, I was so 
in the mindset of like, man, I'm going to record so many podcasts or I'm going to try to and just make so many connections with different people that I haven't ever met before. This is going to be so much fun. And uh, yeah, it just uh, didn't happen, obviously. But I think plans are kind of tentatively for Dallas in uh, 2022, I guess, which yeah, is next year. <laughs> That's how time works. So it'll be it'll be kind of fun. It'll be like two years in the making, right? Like finally we get to hang out with you guys. So I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I think everyone will enjoy my conversation with Jeff from Fully Posable. Jeff, with one F, the only guy I know that does not like radical skedaddle bang, <laughs> which is uh, which is a funny one. But yeah, Jeff's a great dude, and like I said, um, this week with Michael Magnus and last week with Simon Gotch, you know, certain guys on here you're probably not going to know, some you will know, but. Just, I think there's so much to unpack here with these episodes that I hope everybody takes a chance to try to listen to all of them because there's some really good stories in here. And I think you'll connect with a lot of these guys if you kind of hear their stories and realize what they've gone through um, in this industry, whether it's just being a fan or a performer or whatever it might have been. So thank you guys for being listeners, and uh, I really appreciate it. And if you get a chance, a rating and review helps so much. Just take that that couple of minutes to to write a quick little review five star ratings if you if you think I'm I have earned it which I hope you do and I definitely appreciate it. And some other news, uh, I got to throw it over to a couple of guys at Travis Fowler at tfowler81 on Twitter and at the art of Jason Wolf. Uh we um Travis Fowler started this movement, I say a movement, a hashtag I guess. Um probably a couple of years ago where he would listen to Breaker and Bane's Power Hour, my flag, you know, the flagship podcast. Um, while he was mowing, he called it power mowing hour. And I actually took that very, very, I like that. And the reason I did is I was like, as a guy that mows his own yard with a push mower, you got to have a good podcast in your ears. You can't just be like, oh, I want to listen to this, this one. No, no, no. I got to listen to a good one. One I really want to hear. It helps when you're mowing. And, um, and so when he put that, he was listening to power hour, calling it power mowing hour. I really took that like, like oh, yeah, so he thinks we're good enough to listen while mowing. I, I dig that. So Travis and Jason have actually both been guests on this show in the past few weeks. But Travis brought to my attention, you should make a power mowing hour shirt. I'm like, oh, we should do that. How come we haven't done that? And um, talked it over with Big Underscore Bane and we came up with the uh, kind of the Bash of the Beach design. Everyone seems to dig it. It's over on watermaneuver.net. If you search by store for Breaker and Bane's Power Hour, you can find it in about four or five colors. I Again, what I did is I, I shoot my idea over to Jason Wolf, who just absolutely kills it and makes it better than I imagined. I just see it. And I'm just like, wow, incredible. So, again, really, really cool stuff. Um, check that shirt out. Big thanks to Travis Fowler, to Bane, you know, for being a part of the Power, power Mowing Hour. And to uh, Jason Wolf for creating it so well. And you can pick up that shirt over at watermaneuver.net. I have not even ordered mine yet, but I will be because it's awesome. I know a lot of people are wanting it in the old tank top, you know, which I'm like, hey, hell yeah. Tank top, tank top weather, mowing the yard. I dig it. I'm all about it. But uh, anyway, thank you guys for checking out You Know It's Fake, right? And uh, check out our Patreon, BBPA. Patreon, excuse me, holy crap. Patreon.com forward slash BBPH. Um, if you look, search the tiers out there, if you do the $10 a month tier, you can actually get a free t-shirt upon uh, sign up. That's a pretty amazing deal. A free t-shirt just to sign up for our Patreon. Well, well deserved. Um, 
so check that out. All of our bonus content. We got some. I got a video game project coming up there very soon. So stay tuned for that. And uh, of course, like I said, a rating and review always helps. And uh, next week, Jeff Toon from Fully Posable. I think everyone will dig it. And I don't want to keep you here too much longer. Thanks for checking out. You know it's fake, right? And remember, as the great Johnny Valentine once said, I cannot make you believe that wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. I'm Brian Breaker. This, as you know, it's fake, right? And we'll see you next week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can stand toe to toe with the best of the minute Don't give a damn about critics They talk a lot, but at the end of the night I'm selling the tickets All the tough guys avoid me The ladies all adore me Paparazzi record me I can put on a clinic All my opposers are born